morning. So good to be with you this morning. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. We'll actually read verses 9 through 11. We're going to focus on verse 9. And after you've found that, if you would just uh, maybe take your bulletin and stick it in 1 John, somewhere around chapter 3, chapter 4, we'll be uh, looking at uh, numerous cross-references in 1 John a little bit later on in the message. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 for the text of this morning's message, and then some cross-references in 1 John. I am not very good, not to mention clever, with coming up with sermon titles, but we'll just call this one a priority prayer request. It might be uh, called the priority in prayer. Um, I had the, the privilege of being here last year on this same Sunday. Uh, it was the first Sunday of the new year. Last year, that was January 2nd. Uh, this year, of course, uh, we're here on January 1st. And what better place to be on a beginning of a new year than the house of God with God's people? And uh, that message one year ago was on prayer. And I'm going to repeat something uh, that I said one year ago. And that is, whether or not you are in the habit of making New Year's resolutions, I would suggest to you that all of us would do well to resolve to be more faithful in prayer in the upcoming year. Uh, whether, we, whether we choose to form that as a resolution or not, it is certainly something that we ought to do, to be more faithful in the area of prayer. Um, it is nearly impossible, maybe impossible, very, very certainly nearly impossible to overstate the importance of prayer. Uh, someone once said that a man never rises above the level of his prayer life. And Robert Murray McShane, he was the Scottish pastor who lived in the early 1800s, I noticed out on the table in the foyer that uh, you have a, a brochure uh, with his Bible plan, uh, read the Bible through in a year according to Robert Murray McShane's plan. Some of you are no doubt doing that. But Robert Murray McShane said this, a man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? A man or a woman, of course. A man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. And what Pastor McShane is trying to convey to us is how important prayer is. It is impossible to speak of the Christian life without prayer. Um, from the human standpoint, the Christian life begins with a prayer. Now, from God's standpoint, it was an eternity past. We acknowledge that and are grateful for that. But our, from our standpoint, our salvation, our life with Christ begins when we first cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I repent. I place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that starts us down the path of prayer for our entire life. Well, with a new year upon us, once again, it is an appropriate time for us to examine ourselves. I mean, looking back on the year that just ended yesterday, 2022, when you consider your prayer life, how did you do? In 2022, did, did you devote more time to prayer than you did in 2021? Did, did you make progress? Did you pray more regularly and more consistently? Um, did you view prayer less as a duty and more of a privilege? Did you, uh, did you increasingly see prayer as more than just asking God for things? Did you, did you come to see it more as, as the privilege of communing with your heavenly Father? Well, those are some good questions to ask ourselves as we enter a new year. Now, if, if, if you honestly have to respond to those questions as, uh, no, I, I can't say those things were, were true of me. Well, listen, don't be discouraged. Um, I read in uh, Morning and Evening, the devotional by Charles Spurgeon, I did not uh, look at what day this was, but he says, when we think of what we vowed we would be, and of what we have been, we may weep whole showers of grief. Can you identify with Spurgeon? Maybe you made some New Year's resolutions last year. 
spiritual resolutions, and here a year later you're hanging your head saying, oh, oh, I failed again. Well, brothers and sisters, don't, don't be discouraged. God, God, God invites us to repent, to receive his forgiveness, and to receive grace to move on. I am very encouraged by verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is committed to completing his work in us. One way or the other, it will get done. So we thank God for that. Uh, maybe we just need to repent and say, God, help me in 2020. 23 to do these things that I so want to do. If you, on the other hand, could answer yes to those questions, then thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for progress. Give him all the glory and pray for more in this new year. Well, if last year's message was a, an exhortation to pray and to how to pray, this year's message is going to be more centered on what to pray about. What should our priorities be in prayer? Actually, I'm going to focus on one. Um, we know there are a thousand and one things that, uh, that we could pray about and should pray about. Uh, earthly needs all the way to spiritual needs. But sometimes we get kind of out of balance and we, we, we fail to pray for the things that are, that are most important, the main things. Um, we know that God is interested in, the, in the, the smallest details of our life. There is nothing beneath his notice. We, there's all sorts of things we should pray for, but there's some things that we also need to make sure that, that, uh, that are priorities in prayer. Now, what are those priorities? If we want to answer that question, and we should ask it and want to know the answer, uh, what we ought to do is go to Scripture, and one of the main things we can do is look at the prayers that are recorded in Scripture throughout the Bible, but especially in the New Testament. Uh, for example, if I want to know what to pray for, one of the main places that I'm going to go is to the Lord's Prayer, right? When the disciples came to Christ and said, Lord, teach us to pray, and he said, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and so forth. That is a... It really ought to be called the disciples' prayer because uh, the Lord has gave it to us as a model or an outline uh, of what we ought to pray for. We could also turn to John 17, which uh, is sometimes called Jesus' high priestly prayer. You remember the night of his arrest, he prayed to the Father on behalf of the disciples. So if we study that prayer, we're going to see main themes that jump out at us, and we ought to incorporate those in our prayer. Well, another way that we can learn priorities in prayer is to look at the prayers of the apostles. And uh, I have Paul specifically in mind. Brother Keith read to us a prayer from Ephesians chapter 3 at the opening of the service. And so we could go to Ephesians chapter 3 and read the latter part of that chapter and say, okay, this is what Paul prayed for that church, so this is what I need to pray for my church, for me and my family and, and others. Um, we find several of those prayers recorded in Holy Scripture. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 12, Paul writes, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask, and then we find out what he prayed, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So I could sit down and read Colossians 1, 9 through 12 and say, all right, this is what I need to pray for my church. If Paul prayed that for the Colossians, I need to pray it for my church. Uh, we can look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 also has a prayer that Paul prayed for that church in addition to what he prayed or said he prayed in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. But today we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 11. And again, we're going to focus on verse 9. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, we could go through, and there's numerous ways to legitimately outline those three verses, but we could come up with uh, three, four, five 
things that we ought to regularly incorporate in our prayers for ourselves, our families, and for our church. But again, this morning, I want to focus on that first one where Paul says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more, uh, excuse me, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. We're going to see why praying for a growth in love ought to be a priority in prayer. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer again. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day that you have given to us. We thank you for the Lord's Day, this one in seven that is especially marked out for corporate worship and a day of, of rest, resting in you, Lord, and resting from our labors, meditating on you and your word. We thank you for this new year, Lord, to be able to, to meet here on New Year's Day to worship. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would now bless the reading and the teaching and the preaching of the word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers, that what was produced is your inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient word of God. May we remember we are reading ultimately your words, and we pray that your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, would do his ministry of illumination and open up our hearts and minds, Lord, to receive the word. Father, doubtless we come here today perhaps tired and worn and with many uh, worldly cares uh, bearing down on us, but we just pray that you would give us focus and attention to your word, that we would hear, that we would understand, that we would be determined to obey and seek your Holy Spirit's strength and help to do so, Lord, to your glory and to our good. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul prayed that the Philippians... Love would grow still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. We're going to break that verse down into three main points that will hopefully help us and guide us as we also pray in regard to love. The first point would be that we must pray to be characterized by love. We must pray to be characterized by love. That is implied in the text. Uh, we know that Christians are commanded to love, and we are to be characterized by love. Uh, John put it this way in 1 John 4, 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There is no such thing as a genuine child of God who is not characterized by love. It is so basic that you'll notice that Paul assumes that the Philippians already have love. And it's not just an assumption on his part. You know from looking in the book of Acts that Paul started the church at Philippi, and he kept in contact with them after he had to move on, so he knew that they were a church characterized by love. Notice he says, your love, it is something that was in present possession. They possessed love. And who is that love for? Well, without a doubt, that was a love for God and for one another. Uh, when you and I hear that, our minds ought to run to uh, what are called the great commandments or the greatest commandments. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but back in Matthew chapter 22, beginning of verse 34, it says, uh, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all, all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he went on and gave the lawyer more than he asked for. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, all of scripture hangs on them. It's all intricately related and flows from these two commandments. Love God and love people. Well, let's break that down a little bit. Love for God. We need to 
to pray that we be characterized by love for God under point number one. We need to be characterized by a love for God. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ was quoting out of Deuteronomy when he answered that question. Um, it is sometimes called the Shema. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And so there it was. Jesus says, that's the greatest commandment in all of the word of God, that you love God. And we find that command repeated throughout scripture. And what that means is we are to love the person of God. The person of God. I heard Brother Bill pray, God help us not to love you mechanically, but love you as a person. It is a relationship. We love God, the Holy Trinity, our Heavenly Father, His Son, our Lord and Savior, brother and friend, His Holy Spirit who is our companion and our comforter. We must love the person of God. We need to understand that loving God and obeying Him are not the same thing. Now they are absolutely inseparable, absolutely inseparable, but we need to understand that simply keeping his commands or striving to keep his commands does not in and of itself mean we are fulfilling the great commandment. Love involves affection. It involves the emotions. That doesn't mean that it's emotionalism or that it's mere sentimentality, but, but it involves the whole person. The whole person is involved in loving God. There must be an affection, a heartfelt affection for the Lord. I have used uh, these illustrations before. I can't remember if I've used them here. If I have, forgive me, but I think they're appropriate here. But let's consider the husband-wife relationship. Uh, say that Valentine's Day has come or the anniversary of a marriage, and a man goes out and buys his wife a bouquet of flowers. And Let's just say an expensive bouquet of flowers. And on that special day, he presents his wife with those flowers. And she says, oh, honey, thank you. That was so sweet of you. Thank you for these flowers. And imagine if the man said, well, you know, that's kind of just what's expected on a day like this. Look out. The wife is probably going to throw those flowers back in your face and say you shouldn't have bothered. She wants to know you did it for more than just duty, but affection, true heartfelt love, right? What if you were hospitalized? You've been put in the hospital and uh, a pastor, an elder comes to, to see you and uh, he spends a little time with you and prays with you and as he's walking out the door, you say, Pastor, thank you. Thank you for coming and uh, visiting with me and praying for me. And he says, don't mention it, it's what I get paid to do. I think you all see the point. Love is more than fulfilling duty. Certainly if we love, we will want to fulfill our duties and responsibilities, but love is more than that. Love involves the emotions. Now again, it's not emotionalism, but it involves the emotions because it involves the entire person. Loving God includes delighting in God as a person, who he is, not just what he's done for us, although that inspires love as well. Um, Psalm 116, verse 1, David says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. So yes, you and I respond to God's goodness to us, the things he does for us by, by loving him, but it, but it also includes just loving him for who he is. Who he is. Now that David was able to say that I love the Lord, at least in part because he, he answers my prayers, what we see there is that, that our love for God is a response to his love for us. We could also say that our love for God is a result of his love for us. First John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. His love, his love uh, was placed on us back in eternity. If you were a true child of God, he placed his love on you in eternity past. And, and, and your love is a response to his love and even a result, to his, to, to, uh, a result of his love. Men do not naturally love God. 
We are sinners by nature and by choice. That means that we shun him. Uh, Paul says in Romans 3, there's none that seek God, not on their own. If a man seeks God, it's because God was seeking him first. We shun him. We flaunt his law. We arrogantly trust in our own efforts and our own righteousness. The Bible says we're enemies of God. But when God regenerates a man, when he causes him to be born again, then he, he transforms him. He, he, he gives that, that, that new child of his the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit was already working on the, on that person, and He now enables the child to respond in love. He puts the seeds of love in uh, in that person. So we must pray. Uh, uh, we must pray for love for God, but yet understand that it is something that that characterizes a Christian. It is something God puts into a Christian, and and loving God means loving the things of God. We need to love the Word of God, the commands of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God, the worship of God, the service of God. If a man claims to love God but he doesn't love those things, he doesn't really love God. We're also to love the people of God, which will take us to that second sub-point. We had A, love for God, but now we have love for people. When our Lord Jesus gave that second greatest commandment, he was quoting from Leviticus 19.18, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that includes all people. That includes all people, from our closest family member to even our enemies. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, our Lord Jesus taught us to love our enemies. But we need to understand the main emphasis in the New Testament when it comes to love, love for others, the main emphasis is on loving fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. Jesus said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. It says, you love one another. That is the second greatest commandment. In fact, our Lord said that that is the distinguishing mark of a disciple of, of, of Christ. He said John, in thir- John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So uh, while our love should not be limited... Again, we are called upon even to love our enemies. The focus ought to be on the people of, of God. Love everybody, but especially love the family of God. There's a similar principle in Galatians 6.10. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith, the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do good to all people, but especially especially fellow believers. So, and, and, and we, we, we also need to point out that to focus it even further, we need to love the people in our own local church, especially the people in, in our local church. We are to love our brethren on the other side of the world. We are to love God's people wherever they may be. They are truly, and in the fullest sense, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So love our brothers on the other side of the world, the country, the state, the city, the county. But it is, it is in our own local church where we get to most express and live out the love that we're supposed to have for each other. So when we're praying for love, uh, a focus needs to be, we get it kind of laser focused, but love everybody, but laser focus on the people in your own local church. Um, In my personal devotions, I have been reading through uh, the book of 1 John. I've been at it for months, I've been just taking it nice and slow, but even if you read through 1 John in one sitting, and you can do it pretty quickly, it's only five chapters, even if you read it through quickly, you will be absolutely struck by how much John addresses the subject of love and how love for God and love for others is interconnected. Keep your place in Philippians for just a moment. Look at 1 John. We'll just look at a few verses. Look at 1 John 3.11. 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. 
He who does not love his brother abides in death. So that goes back to the point that not only must Christians be characterized by love, they will be characterized by love. It says here, if a man hates his brother, he's not saved. He's still abiding in spiritual death. Uh, look at uh, chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And again, it's not just fulfilling our duties to one another, but having that that affection for one another. It certainly does mean that love will result in action. Look, go back to chapter 3, verse 16 in 1 John, 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So, so genuine love is going to result in action, but it also, it also includes a, a tender affection for our brothers and sisters. So when, it, when God saves a man or a woman, when he regenerates him, makes him into a new creature, he plants the seeds in, of love in him, he, he, he makes him now able through the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit to begin loving, but that love is so small, it is so minuscule that it's got to grow. And that leads us to the second point. We must pray for our love to grow. We must pray for our love to grow. Paul says, in this I pray that your love, the love you've already got, that it may abound more and more. More and more. Now notice, at least in the prayer to the Philippians, or the prayer on behalf of the Philippians, this is his first request. It's his first request. His first request focuses on love, and he prays, I pray to God that your love, the love that you have, that it abounds more and more. And so if, 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 if to, to love God and to love people is, are, are the great commandments, um, it's not surprising that that would be Paul's first request. Now, this is worded intensely. You have this word abound. It means to exceed, to overflow, uh, have an abundance to grow and to, and to flourish. Uh, there's one Greek dictionary that says abounding is used of a flower going from a bud to full bloom. Okay, so, so we want it to, to fully bloom and blossom out. Now, if, if Paul had just left it right there, I pray that your love may abound in knowledge and all discernment, that would still teach us that we need to grow in love. But notice how he packs on all this other stuff, that it would abound more and more. You see, it, there, there, there should be no limit there should be no limits to the growth of our love. And the obvious implication there is, no matter what level of love that I, I have for God and people, I need to keep growing. There's a lot of room to grow. That's going to be a lifelong process. A lifelong process. We need to grow. We need to grow. Let me ask you a question going back to the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Notice all, all, all. And what that means is with all of you. Every part of you loves the God with all of your being. All of your being. Now, has there ever been a second of your life when you have fulfilled the great commandment? where you have loved God with all of your being. No, no. None of us can say that we have ever, even for a second, completely fulfilled the great commandment. And so that kind of underscores we have room to grow. We need to grow. The seed needs to spring up in the plant. The, the, the bud needs to blossom and just keep blossoming out. So um, it, it, now, now, if you said no, no, there's not. But but you're revealing a desire. 
You want to love God more and rejoice. That's evidence that he's working in you. To quote from Spurgeon again, Spurgeon said the intensity of the love of the upright, and he was was, uh, doing a devotion on the the verse that says the upright love thee, the the, the godly man, woman, uh, upright, the saved. The intensity of the love of the upright, however, is not so much to be judged by what it appears as by what the upright long for. It is our daily lament that we cannot love enough. Would that our hearts were capable of holding more and reaching further. Now, do you see Spurgeon's point there? He says, he says we're not to, to really judge ourselves necessarily by what appears, uh, the, the, the outward manifestation of our love, or, or even what we think to be our level of love, but, but our desires. Do you desire to love God more? If you do, that's a great sign. It's our, it's our desire, what we want, that uh, is a great indicator of where we are. And if you genuinely want to love God more and love people more, that's a great sign, Spurgeon's saying. That's a great sign. We'll, we'll never be able to, in this life, to love God as much as we want, but, uh, but, but that's a good sign of growth in our life. So, so feeling that, knowing that, um, that we should love him more, that he is worthy of our love, we need to pray that God would grow that love. Um, most of us, I trust, have heard the hymn, More Love to Thee. More love to Thee, O Christ, more love to Thee. Hear Thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to Thee. More love to Thee. More love to Thee. So the, the hymn is a, is a prayer set to music. Can you say that your earnest plea, your sincere desire is to love Christ more? If you have to say to yourself, no, I can't say that. I've grown cold. I've grown spiritually weak. Then pray. Pray that God will rekindle that love. And if you can say, yes, that's my genuine desire, then boy, just channel it into prayer. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. That should be my prayer for, for me, first of all, not selfishly, but because I, I, can't, I can't legitimately or truthfully pray that you will increase in love for God if I'm not first praying that I will increase in love for God. So we first pray that for ourselves, then we pray for our family, our, our, our friends, uh, and for our, our, our church, just as Paul prayed for the Philippians. And you know what? You and I can have absolute confidence that God will answer that prayer. There are some things that we pray, and we don't know if it's God's will or not. Okay, it's okay to pray for it. We know it's not doesn't violate anything that God's will that God reveals in His Word. But we're not sure necessarily if it's God's will. But there's some things that we can know are the will of God, and therefore He will answer. If you're still in First John, uh, we have a, a wonderful promise at the end of First John chapter five, verse fourteen. It says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will. He hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Amen. John says, listen, we can have confidence in this. When we pray according to God's will, we can know that he hears us and know that he will grant the request. Well, if I know based on the Shema, if I know based on the great, greatest commandment that it is God's will that I love him, and that from the second commandment that I love people, if I pray for God to bring that about in my life, he's going to do that. He's going to do that. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to flip a switch and all of a sudden I'm going to get up off my knees and I'm going to love God and love people perfectly. No, no. It's, it's a growth process. We see that in Paul's prayer that it would abound more and more. The implication is a growth process, but God will, will do that in our lives. If we know we don't love him enough, if we know we don't love people enough, and we earnestly pray in faith, we can have confidence God is going to bring that out in our lives. I mean, it is going to be accomplished little by little, little by little, but it will happen. Say, how can I tell that my love for God is growing? Well, 
Well, it'd be a whole other sermon, wouldn't it? Um, An increased desire, an increased desire to commune with Him, um, to be in His Word, to obey Him. Jesus did say, if in John fourteen twenty three, if anyone loves Me, He will keep My Word. And so, our desire to obey, while it that does not does, that does not define love, it is a result of love. It is a response to His love. Um, Growing love for others. The Bible says when we are growing in a love for, for others, it shows that we're growing in a love for God. So those and so many other indicators there. Wish we had more time to look at that, but let's go ahead and look at the last point. Love must be according to the truth. Love must be according to the truth. Notice this. Paul says, and this I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment in knowledge and all discernment. Now, there's several ways that that could be legitimately understood, and uh, it kind of hinges on the translation of the word in. Okay, you may be reading a version that says with, and indeed, that Greek word there, which actually is in, E-N or epsilon nu, it can mean with, by, or in, and several other things. So it's a preposition, a Greek preposition, that can mean with, by or in, and there is uh, a lot of legitimacy in seeing those as applying, all three applying here. Um, Let's consider it as it is rendered in the ESV, with. It says that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So the idea would be there that Paul is saying, I am not only praying that you will grow in love, I am praying that you will grow in knowledge and all discernment. You see, so it would be almost a, a not unrelated, but a, a, the next prayer request. I'm praying that you grow in love, and I'm praying that you grow in knowledge and in discernment, and yet they're inextricably uh, connected. Now, knowledge here is not some special knowledge out there, uh, uh, whatever, that we're talking about the truth of God's word. True knowledge comes from God's word. So a growth in doctrine, what we're to believe, uh, what what it teaches about doctrine, and what it teaches about practice, what we're supposed to do. Uh, We are to grow in a knowledge of God's will and and discernment. Um, Again, Paul's going to be talking about spiritual knowledge here. There's all kinds of knowledge out there, and we need to know other types of knowledge, but he's talking about spiritual knowledge, truth about God, who God is and what he requires, and how to be right with him. Jesus said in that high priestly prayer that I referred to at the beginning of the message in John 17, 3, as he's praying to his father, he says, and of course in the hearing of the disciples, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Listen, eternal life, I mean, it's more than unending existence because everybody has unending existence. You are going to have unending existence in one of two places. But eternal life is describing the quality of the life, the the, the heart of the life that God gives to those he saves. And it is the privilege of knowing God. Knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. Knowing him uh, in a relational way. Knowing him. Now, I think, uh, interestingly, the word that is translated knowledge here is a strengthened form of the general Greek word of knowledge. You have gnosis, and here it's epignosis. So it's, uh, it's defined as a precise and correct knowledge. Uh, the dictionary, Greek dictionary says epignosis has an intensive meaning as compared with gnosis, the regular word for knowledge. It is a fuller, clearer, more thorough knowledge. So we see there that every believer needs to strive after a clearer, more thorough knowledge of God's word. Sometimes I, I hear people uh, uh, I've even heard uh, pastors say, well, at our church, we, we don't bother about doctrine. We just love Jesus and love people. Well, we need to love Jesus and love people, but an absolutely, uh, absolutely necessary part of doing that is learning more about him. Just because I know true doctrine doesn't mean I love Jesus, but I cannot love Jesus the way I should if I'm not learning about him. 2 Peter 
Peter's last written words, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must grow in knowledge, and that comes from the Word. That comes from the Word, the word of, of God. I need, to know, I need to know how to love Him. The Bible tells me to love Him, but, but I, when I read in the Word how I'm to love Him. Uh, the Bible tells me to, to, to love others. Like the Bible as a husband tells me in Ephesians 5, I'm to love my wife. Well, I read Scripture to find out how I'm supposed to love my wife. And it says also in all discernment, meaning to judge between, um, to recognize right and wrong, to know what to do in a, in a certain situation. So it's kind of like wisdom, taking what we've learned, the knowledge that we have from the Word of God, and, and applying it. There's an interesting verse in the Old Testament, First uh, Chronicles 12.32. It says regarding the sons of Issachar, that tribe of Israel, they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We need to be people who have an understanding of the times who know what the people of God ought to do, and we gain that discernment from our knowledge of God's Word. So, it could be, I pray that your love will abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Grow in love, grow in knowledge, grow in discernment. But that little Greek preposition can also mean by I pray that your love will abound more and more by knowledge and discernment. Now, I'm not aware of any version that actually renders it that way, uh, possibly because it's, it's very similar to, to what we just looked at, with. But the idea would be here that as we grow in knowledge, it will serve to increase our love for, for the Lord. Um, John Gill wrote, it may be rendered by knowledge, suggesting that love is increased thereby, which is true. For the more the saints know of God in Christ, the more they love him. You've heard that phrase, to know him is to love him? Well, that is supremely true of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I gain knowledge uh, of, of, of God from his word, it's going to cause me to love him more. As I meditate on, on his love, again, the uh, passage that was read at the opening of the, mess of, of the service today in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul, he wanted those Ephesians to, to meditate on the love of God and how much God loved them and displayed that love in sending Christ to die for them. And listen, folks, as we do that, it's going to cause us to love him more. When I think about how God loves me, yeah, I'm going to, by that knowledge, that's going to help my love to abound more and more. But then finally, let's look at the translation in. It could be with knowledge and all discernment, by knowledge and all discernment, but then in knowledge and all discernment. It's rendered that way in the King James, New King James, New American Standard, NIV. Um, the point would be this, that you need to grow in love, but that love needs to be in knowledge and all discernment. In other words, it needs, that love needs to be defined by knowledge and discernment, shaped by knowledge and discernment, controlled by knowledge and discernment, which again is the teaching of the Word of God. I, I need to grow in love for God and people but I need this word it, that, to, to tell me what that love looks like. It needs to, my love needs to be in knowledge and discernment. So that's his prayer for them, that their love would grow in knowledge and discernment. Because again, God's word gives us knowledge of how to love. Um, we, we don't need to take our cues from the world about love, do we? The world talks about love and love this and love that, but that is generally something very different than what God's Word teaches. Um, when we consider sin, the world's love ignores sin. The world's love thinks that, uh, or the world thinks it is loving to tolerate sin. Um, or to even celebrate sin, doesn't it? Don't we have a lot of that going on right now? The world's love celebrates what God's word calls an abomination. Okay? God's word instructs me that true love loves the sinner, 
but identifies as discerning, judges that that is a sin that that person is committing and is willing to lovingly confront that sin and call that sinner to repentance. To repent of that sin, which not only dishonors God, which is the worst thing, but also harms them. I am not, if I don't lovingly confront. Now, first of all, I need to be confronting my own sins. Absolutely. As Christ said, get the log out of your own eye before you get the splinter out of a brother's or attempt to take the splinter out of another's. But genuine love hates sin and is willing to confront it because it is a dishonor to God and harmful, destructive to man. So to rightly love, we need to exercise discernment. Hebrews 5.14, regarding to the word of God, um, getting deeper in the word and learning more, it says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As you move on from the milk of the word and get into the meat of the word, as you grow in knowledge, you grow in discernment, you are able to discern and judge things rightly. We, we, we've got to do that. Um, our love has got to be according to knowledge and discernment. Matthew Henry wrote, Strong passions without knowledge and a settled judgment will not make us complete in the will of God and sometimes do more hurt than good. I, I think he's right on there. Again, strong passions without knowledge and a settled judgment will not make us complete in the will of God and sometimes do more hurt than good. So Paul knew that 2,000 years earlier, I'm sorry, 1,700 years earlier from Matthew Henry. And so he prays that their love would grow as defined by God's word. Folks, this is eminently practical. You know, most parents, even the parents of unsaved people, have a, a natural affection for their children. Now we know, sadly, there are glaring exceptions to that, child abuse and so forth. But in general... Parents love their children, and especially Christian parents love their children. But that love has got to be exercised towards that child according to knowledge and discernment. I remember years ago now that uh, there was a, a lady who was having some issues with her teenager, and, and uh, I'm sorry, I think it was a younger child at that point, and said something to the effect, oh, I, just, I just love him too much to spank him. I just love him too much to spank him. Well, you know, no parent likes to spank a child or discipline a child. But that love is that, that she was expressing was not a love according to knowledge and discernment. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly or consistently. And this is based on what God does, does for us. We read in Scripture, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's, a, that's, a, that's an indication that you are God's child when he disciplines you and chastens you. And we're to do that for our children. We are to, 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 to discipline them in, in love for their, for their own good. For their own good. Some, some parents... They, they, they have a, I mean, it's a true affection for their children and a compassion, but, 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 but sadly, it's not according to, to knowledge and, and discretion. And sometimes they end up enabling their children to continue in a destructive path and just and, and write it off as love. Oh, I just can't, I can't confront them. I can't do, no, you have to. God's love commands you. God command, God, God in his word gives you knowledge of what real love looks like. Or what about evangelism? Uh, some of you are old enough to remember back in the 70s, um, you used to see bumper stickers and see this on church signs. Smile, God loves you. You remember that one? Smile, God loves you. Well, you know what? It, it is true that God loves people. Okay, God, God does have a general love for mankind. In fact, on the Sermon on the Mount where Christ said that we are to love our enemies, he says, because your Father in heaven causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust and the rain to fall on the, on the, the just and the unjust. God does have a general love for mankind. But that's not all there is. I mean, a similar thing would be uh, just a sign that says Jesus loves you. Well, does Jesus love people? Well, of course he does, but that's not all there is to it. 
We have to bring the entire teaching of the Word of God to bear on that. If, 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 if we're talking to someone who, who, who is unsaved, it's not, it's not adequate to just say God loves you. Love for that person demands that we, we say, you, you, you need to understand you are a sinner. You have defied God. This God who is your maker, who created you in his image and created you for fellowship and, and provides for you. Have, you have sinned against him. You're in rebellion against him. And, and God's word says that his wrath is on you. His wrath is on you for that. You are guilty. You are guilty before him. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And if you leave this life unrepentant, you are going to have unending existence in torment away from God as the just punishment for your sins. Now the world says that's hateful to say that. We know, right? That's what they say. But no, that's loving. It's not loving to not warn somebody. And so see, we need to bring all those things to bear and in, 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 in what we share with people and then say, but God is gracious and God is merciful and God is compassionate. And he says in his word that he is ready to forgive repentant sinners. And so if you repent of your sins, if you humble yourself before him, you come and you agree with God, God, I have sinned against you. I am worthy of death and damnation, but forgive me. And you place your faith in Jesus Christ, his son, who died on the cross in the place of sinners to pay their debt. If you repent and you place your faith in him, you will be saved. You'll be forgiven. God will forgive you. He will bring you into his family. You'll be a child of God and you'll go home when you die to be with him forever we got to do we got to we got to present all of that doesn't have to be just like that and i know sometimes we may not have time to share all that and go into so much detail but just saying smile god loves you that doesn't help anybody folks love love that, that we express to others has got to be in knowledge and in all discernment so those are just two examples where, where hopefully we see that point that love has got to be in knowledge and discernment. I brought one from parenting, one from evangelism, but there are thousands of examples. We, 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 we need to pray that our love would, uh, would grow in all knowledge and discernment, whether we uh, consider it with knowledge and discernment, by knowledge and discernment, or in knowledge and discernment. It's, uh, the Bible teaches all of that regardless of what the precise meaning may be of uh, Philippians 1.9. Well, the greatest commandments, the greatest commandments, love God, love people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. If, it's, if, 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 if that's the greatest commandment, then I think it stands to reason the greatest priority in prayer ought to be love. God Help me to grow in love for you and for others. God, help my family to grow in love for you and others. God, help my church, help New Covenant Bible Church in this new year to abound in love more and more. And again, that is, that is a request that we can know God will grant. Let's make it a priority this year as we grow in our prayer life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that uh, you would forgive us, Lord, for our lack of love. Forgive us that we have not been more passionate and decisive in pursuing a growth of love for you and people. Forgive us, cleanse us, Lord, whatever may have happened in 2022 as we look forward to 2023. Help us, Lord. Help us to love you more and to love people more. To your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.